Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Pride going before destruction. Hello, Truth Transistors. Welcome to episode 10 of my podcast. I believe this is part three of the Mystery Bab- or, uh, William Cooper Mystery Babylon series uh, in my commentary of it. And uh, if you want to get a hold of me, email me at truthtransistorradio at gmail.com. Also, check out my YouTube channel, which is called Truth Transistor Radio as well. I've created a lot of playlists on there. Some videos are mine. Many of them are not that are uh, that I try to put in specific orders in most of them to uh, create a logical progression on that. So um, and you can also get a really good idea of what I believe, although there's been several episodes on here already. So. just kind of to, to review, my number one source for truth is the Bible, and the first, uh, starting in episode two, I believe, through episode seven, I think, or eight, were about um, biblical evidence, and then I started on the mysteries religions. Um, so number two would be what do the mystery, the, the powers of this world believe, and correlating that with scripture and so this has been the progress of this podcast and I will continue to go uh, in that direction Um, but again the the, uh, YouTube channel has a lot more on it at this point so you can get more ideas of kind of what I think now a lot of the videos that are not mine on that I put in playlists might have conclusions or elements in them that I don't agree with. So it's not that I agree with everything that other people YouTube channels uh, say. So I just want to make that clear. Um, also, now the uh, debates started uh, recently last week. And I could barely watch it. It was it was just unbearable to me. Uh, again, the the partisan bipartisan politics that exists, where everything, like if you're a Republican, everything Trump did was great, and Biden did was terrible. If you're a Democrat, everything Biden did was great, and everything Trump did was terrible. It depends on which news outlet you watch to determine who won the debate. And to be honest with you, uh, I don't. I'm not a vote. I'm not voting for either one. You know, Biden is too liberal and Trump is too crazy. Uh, you know, I'm more of a Ron Paul guy, as I stated before. But for many Christians who are supporting Trump, I, I find it in unethical the way he was continually uh, ar- uh, not arguing, but uh, interrupting. And, and talking out of turn, uh, at least 
just a few minutes that I heard, and it seemed that that was happening a lot. Now, I know that in most debates, somebody always goes a little past their time or speaks out, but they, you know, once the moderator steps in, they will stop. But Trump is just constantly, not only with the other, with Biden, but with the, uh, the moderator. Like, he would interrupt the moderator throughout. And so, anyway, I just found it to be unethical uh, for the most part. And I don't think they talked about anything that I felt was crucial or important. It was just all, you know, basic stuff. So that's just my quick thoughts on the debates. I don't really plan on watching much of them uh, anyway, since I'm not voting for either one of them. Also, uh, in sports news, the Dallas Cowboys, my Dallas Cowboys, suck. But it's a good thing I don't idolize sports like I once did. It still kind of irks me a bit, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Uh, I have more important things to talk about. So, this next uh, section, we're going to continue with the Mystery Babylon series commentary uh, that will, uh, from the William Cooper program, Hour of the Time, and the symbology and, or, the, or the things that the mystery schools believe. In the most ancient Egyptian understanding of things, mankind was called the sheep of God. And the great orb of day, God's son, was the overseer, or, in the exact words from the ancient Egyptian manuscript, the good shepherd. And we are his flock. All ancient kings thought of their people as sheep to be pastured with themselves as the shepherd. Sheep are ideal followers, you see, for they do not think for themselves, but will blindly follow anyone without question. And that's why I call most people sheeple. It's truly admirable behavior for animals but it is very, very unwise for humans. Sheep were born to be fleeced and have the wool pulled over their eyes and are eventually always led to the slaughter. Lastly, they end up as a tasty meal eaten by their masters and their skin or their hide or their wool is worn as an apron around a Freemason's waist. <laughs> How about that? Now you see what they did there. Um, if you read the Bible, in the Psalms, for example, David often talks about him being... Uh, so David was a, sh a shepherd in real life, and he watched over his, his flock and started to think of, in terms of him being a sheep and God being the good shepherd. And so there's kind of this analogy, and, and Jesus brings it up, and it's used again in the New Testament where Jesus is, calls himself the good shepherd. And what they've done here is they've taken that and they've twisted it to mean that the Freemason or the chief Freemason is the uh, chief shepherd or the master mason. Uh, and so they've kind of made you question what the meaning of the Bible is and whether or not it's good to be a sheep, uh, a sheep. Now, I will say this, and the, and the same thing could be used for a king, right? I would be opposed to a human king because humans are faulty. 
I refer I prefer a government that has uh, checks and balances the way that the United States was supposed to be set up originally, um, as opposed to a human king. And the same thing can be true with a shepherd. You know, if the shepherd is human, chances are there's going to be faults with that shepherd. But if it's God, then the good shepherd is going to protect us from wolves. It's going to pull us back in when we go astray, you know, those kinds of things. And so there's a difference between a human king and God as king. So what the Freemasons have done is they've taken that and have basically put, put themselves in the place of Christ. And, of course, if the Master Mason is the peak of the pyramid, which also they would say Lucifer is, then if Lucifer is our shepherd, we're in trouble. So, again, it depends on who our shepherd is. And I want to make that clear. So if God is our shepherd or, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, is our shepherd, we are in good hands. Isis was the patroness of the magical arts among the Egyptians. The use to which magic should be put is revealed in the Osirian cycle where Isis applies the most potent of her charms and invocations to accomplish the resurrection of Osiris. In other words, the redemption of the human soul. That the gods of Egypt were elements of a profound magical system and possessed a significance far different from that advanced by modern Egyptologists is certain. The various deities of the Nile Valley were elements of an elaborate magical metaphysical system, a kind of ceremonial Kabbalah. This cannot be denied. You may wonder where all this is going, but it becomes clear when you understand that the Egyptians inherited the religion of Babylon. So are we to presume that this single phase of ceremonial magic constituted the entire repertoire of the Egyptian thaumaturgists? You see, if they could manifest such surprising power, is it not probable that they possessed a knowledge of other natural hidden forces, forces as yet unknown to the modern public world, which is possibly of inestimable value, which may still be contained within what is called the secrets of the ages, which is guarded by the modern mystery school, which is still the ancient mystery school brought forward through the ages. We are assured in the authorized version, and note I say authorized version of Holy Writ, that the magicians of Egypt changed their staves or rods into serpents in the presence of Pharaoh. In Egypt, we are dealing unquestionably with true manifestations of occult power. The learned author of Art Magic presents what may be accepted as a reasonable accurate estimation of the priest magicians of the old Egyptian mysteries. Quote, they were highly educated scientific men. They understood the nature of the lodestone, the virtues of mineral and animal magnetism, which together with the force of psychological impression constituted a large portion of their theurgic practices. They perfectly understood the art of reading the innermost secrets of the soul of impressing the susceptible imagination by enchantment and fascination, of sending their own spirits forth from the body, which many modern metaphysical teachers claim that they can do, as clairvoyance under the action of powerful will. In fact, they were masters of the art now known as mesmerism, clairvoyance, electrobiology, etc. 
They also realized the virtues of magnets, gums, herbs, drugs, and fumigations, and employed music to admirable effect. And no one since has been able to perfect or even come close to their art of embalming the dead. Okay, so I wanted to talk real quickly about magic. And, you know, he talked a little bit about magic, about sorceries, about music, and things that are used. And I wanted to read this passage here in Revelation 18, starting in verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more, and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more, and the sound of the mill will be heard if in you no more, and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were great ones on the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And I wanted to, that was the verse I wanted to point out. And in her was found the blood of prophets and the saints and of all who have been slain on earth. So it's interesting that Mystery Babylon has deceived the worlds by her sorceries. And this is a big part of the uh, mystery religion and how they deceive people. Um, sorcery is, is from the word pharmakia, which can also refer to drugs, which was mentioned here as well. And also in the links that I left in the last video, and I'll leave them again here, there was a playlist on one of them that was a guy explaining the mystery religion. And I will pick a specific uh, video from his playlist about magic and post it in the description below. You know, Plato, and I wrote this in my book, was an initiate of Mystery Babylon and was actually initiated in the Great Pyramid in Egypt where he lay in the sarcophagus for three days and three nights. He entered as a mortal man and according to his writings emerged as a god given or imparted knowledge which he was to guard and keep. Remember they called themselves the guardians of the secrets of the ages. From the writings of Proclus and Iamblichus we can gain a considerable insight into the principles of Egyptian magic. To the old philosophers even Pythagoras and Plato, magic was no mystery. According to Proclus, the initiated priests so fully understood the mutual sympathy between the visible and invisible worlds that they were able to change the course of action and focus divine virtues upon inferior natures. And according to Plato, the highest form of magic consisted in the divine worship of the gods, plural. And according to Iamblichus, the priests, through sacerdotal theurgy, were able to ascend from a material state of unconsciousness to a realization of the universal essence, thus coming to an understanding of universal purpose by which the performance of high feats of magic became possible. Thousands of years later, Aleister Crowley claimed the same thing. Now this is significant. It's proper at this point to establish a clear line of demarcation between magic and sorcery. You see, the term magic was not associated with occult jugglery by the Egyptians, but arose from a profound understanding of natural law. 
Magic, says General Albert Pike, is the exact and absolute science of nature and its laws. Unquote. From the knowledge of this absolute science arises occult science. Occult merely means hidden, folks. From experience in occult science, in turn, arises the theurgic art. For as surely as man has adapted his physical universe to his purposes, so surely the adept of the mystery school adapts the metaphysical universe to his purposes. Men like Aleister Crowley have proven that it has been passed down through the ages and is kept and practiced secretly by those who call themselves the guardians of the secrets of the ages. So, according to the mystery schools, uh, as stated by William Cooper, uh, they believe that the mysteries have been passed down through the ages, going all the way back to Babylon, preceding Egypt. Now, he's talking about the Tower of Babel, Babylon, not uh, the kingdom that took power later, um, although it might be rooted in the same, which I believe it probably is. But um, now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. I, I can tell you that based upon what we know so far is that oftentimes they will adapt things from the truth into their mystery religions to make it look like later on that they have that the Bible was copied from them. And it's like I said, it's a mixture of both perverting uh, the Bible and perverting the mystery religions to kind of make the two unanimous when they're really not. So knowing that, uh, that, you know, whether or not they're the current mystery religions have been physically passed down all the way going back to the, uh, you know, thousands of years, I don't know. But I do believe that a lot of it is similar and a lot of what has been revealed to them in recent centuries was revealed to them by demons, as many of them acknowledge, um, you know, and and so I think that there is some some truth to that. While their claims that much of what's in the New Testament was copied from the mystery religions is false. I believe that anything that has to do with magic and sun worship and definite pagan things are from the ancient mystery religions that you can find in Egyptian records. From all these different philosophers who visited Egypt, we shall secure a better estimation of the profundity of Egyptian learning than from even the Egyptian writings themselves. Plato went to Egypt and was initiated into the mysteries in the Great Pyramid where he lay for three days and three nights in the sarcophagus, during which he was imparted knowledge which he was to guard, protect. He describes his initiation in his writings. Just a quick note here, because obviously the claim that Plato was laid down for three days and three nights is supposed to make you think of Jesus. And Plato being several centuries before Christ, uh, it's to make you believe that that's another example of a Jesus, the story of Jesus copying other ancient things. And I believe this claim was made by Manly P. Hall and other ancient, uh, I, I mean, other recent occultists in the last couple of centuries. And I'm not sure that this claim can be found in the ancient uh, records of Plato or not. If we can assume 
the pragmatic viewpoint that the substance of matter is to be determined from its consequences, then we must indeed highly reverence the wisdom of the Egyptians. For it seems that first among the consequences of that wisdom is civilization itself, that cannot be doubted. Civilization is no fable, nor is it a progeny of myths, but that which is real and substantial. And it bears witness to a profound and superior wisdom, which must have existed over a great period of time, and have been communicated to at least a privileged few since the very beginning of man's cultural impulse. Now we can also take the example of Pythagoras, the great philosopher, while a youth, if we may credit Iamblichus, associated himself with Thales of Miletus, from whom he gained a considerable knowledge of the mysteries. Thales, being at that time of great age and infirm body, apologized for his incomplete understanding of the sacred doctrines and urged Pythagoras to visit Egypt, the motherland of wisdom as it was called in those days. Iamblichus wrote that Thales confessed that his own reputation for wisdom was derived from the instruction of these priests, but that he was neither naturally nor by exercise endued with those excellent prerogatives which were so visibly displayed in the person of Pythagoras. Thales therefore gladly announced to Pythagoras from all these circumstances that he would become the wisest and most divine of all men if he associated with these Egyptian priests. Iamblichus then describes the journey which Pythagoras made to Egypt, how en route he was initiated into the mysteries of several nations, and at last arriving at his destination was received by the Egyptian priests with respect and affection. He associated with the Egyptian philosophers for some time, and after demonstrating by his sincerity and consecration that he was worthy to associate with the initiated, he was at last admitted into the secrets of their orders. Quote, he spent, therefore, observes Iamblichus, two and twenty years in Egypt, in the Aditya of temples, astronomizing and geometrizing, and was initiated, not in a superficial or casual manner, in all the mysteries of the gods. Pythagoras must be acknowledged among the first of those divine men to whom the race is indebted for the principles of science, art, and philosophy. And are we to presume that so noble an intellect could have spent 22 years pursuing fabulous shadows in Egyptian crypts? If, as some have asserted, Osiris signified merely the Nile, and Isis, the black earth, rendered fertile by its inundation, could such a fable have so greatly stimulated the admiration of Pythagoras that he would have spent a score of years in the assimilation of the idea? I don't think so. Or again... Would he have spent this great length of time, the very best years of his life, in memorizing the myth-encrusted history of an ancient king who at some remote period had reigned in Egypt and whose memory seemed sufficient to inspire a vast civilization for some 6,000 years? By the way, that's the exact number of years in the calendar of the Mystery School and of the Freemasons. Or would he approach the matter from another of these explanations? Would Pythagoras have pounded himself for a score of years against the walls of Memphis and find himself fully rewarded by being informed with bated breath by some archaic magus that Isis is the dog star? I think not. It's not impossible that in the course of its long and illustrious history, folks, Egypt devised many opinions relative to her sacred myths, but no such explanation has involved Egypt alone. Her histories, her heroes, or her agricultural problems 
could have caused illustrious men from all parts of the world to have visited her in quest of essential wisdom, the central core of which is the myth of Osiris, Isis, and Horus, known as the Osirian Cycle. The Nile meant nothing to the Greeks, who cared little whether it rose or fell. Not Egypt, but the Umbos of Delphi was the center of their universe in Greece, and local fables derived from Egypt's 42 gnomes could never have won for the double empire its illustrious reputation as patron of all learning, human and divine. So we must look deeper. And look deeper we did, folks, and what we found is amazing. For we found that Osiris and Isis and Horus were not ever have meant to be, nor were they ever real people, or real gods, or spacemen who came from some other world. Not at all. As we have found in our research, and as I have found in my over 20-some-odd years of research into the mystery schools, they are like all the other symbols of the mystery religion. For the public, for the profane, they are the exoteric, and you may make of them what you wish. The adepts, the initiates, the priests, they don't care what interpretation you give the exoteric meaning. And the esoteric is so entirely different from what you may suspect that the answer will surprise you. You see, we cannot be deceived by the obvious, and you can never be deceived by the obvious, or even consider the obvious when looking at any of the mystery religions or the secret doctrine. And we cannot allow ourselves to be misdirected by the evident subterfuges, the deceptions of these ancient priests who so carefully concealed their arcana from the uninitiated world that we, at this late time, may even doubt its existence. Yet, now, today, it is thriving to the point that it controls all levels of our society, military, and government. The ignorant the sheeple, even among the Egyptians, might derive their inspiration from the processionals and rituals of the state religion, but that's just for the sheeple. For those great philosophers who came from afar were in search of the highest form of human knowledge, the ancient arts, the secrets of the ages, and could not be satisfied by such outer show. Had these fables been but hollow and unsubstantial forms, Egypt would have been the ridicule of the wise who would speedily have exposed her sham and reduced her vain pretense to a humble state. But this did not occur. You see, the initiates of her mysteries returning to their own countries not only felt themselves more than repaid for their hazardous journeys and long vigils, but furthermore... They became founders of distinguished systems of thinking, disseminators of useful knowledge, and in all cases bore witness to a broad and deep learning, and they always took with them a plan for the unfoldment of a world utopian government, which plan still exists today and is still being carried out in secret as the completion of the great work. Theodorus describes two famous columns erected near Nysa in Arabia, one to Isis and the other to Osiris. Now remember, Osiris and Isis never lived, they were not re real people, and they were never gods. They are symbols for something much deeper. So when you listen to the interpretation of the inscriptions on the columns, the column to Isis bears this inscription, quote, I am Isis, queen of this country. I was instructed by Mercury. 
No one can destroy the laws which I have established. I am the eldest daughter of Saturn, the most ancient of gods. I am the wife and sister of Osiris the king. I first made known to mortals the use of wheat. I am the mother of Horus the king. In my honor was the city of Bubastus built. Rejoice, O Egypt, rejoice land that gave me birth. Unquote. The column to Osiris bore these words, quote, I am Osiris the king who led my armies into all parts of the world to the most thickly inhabited countries of India, the north, the Danube, and the ocean. I am the eldest son of Saturn. I was born of a brilliant and magnificent egg, and my substance is of the same nature as that which composes light. There is no place in the universe where I have not appeared to bestow my benefits and make known my discoveries." Unquote. And the rest of the inscription, of course, was destroyed. Now, while the inscription on the pillar or the obelisk in honor of Isis may be veiled, the inscription on the obelisk dedicated to Osiris is certainly not. He was born of a brilliant and magnificent egg and his substance is of the same nature of that which composes light. There is no place in the universe where I have not appeared. Osiris, of course, was the sun. In examining Plutarch's treatise, the introductory remarks appear of special significance. Yet, folks, these remarks are wholly ignored by Egyptologists who are content to confine themselves entirely to the fable which constitutes the larger part of the writing. If Plutarch, by any word or symbol, reveals even a small part of the sacred mystery, it is to be found in the following words, quote, For Isis, according to the Greek interpretation of the word, signifies knowledge, as does the name of her professed adversary, Typhon, signify insolence and pride. A name, therefore, extremely well adapted to one who, full of ignorance and error, tears in pieces and conceals that holy doctrine which the goddess collects, compiles, and delivers to those who aspire after the most perfect participation of the divine nature. Osiris, the black god of the Nile, must be regarded as the personification of an order of learning, for Plutarch identifies him beyond question with the holy doctrine or the mystery tradition. Now remember I told you Osiris is the symbol of the sun, but the sun was the symbol of the power of the all-encompassing God of the universe, and later you're going to learn that the light or the sun represents something even deeper. It represents, dear listeners, primordial knowing, the gift of intellect, and where people can read these myths and think that these people really worship the sun or some god somewhere, they are mistaken. For the true object of their worship is the intellect. And through the use of that intellect, they believe that man will become God. Now there's quite a bit to digest in that last bit of audio. Uh, but what I want to make clear here is that this is what the current mystery schools believe about the history of Egypt, Osiris, Isis, and Horus, etc. And whether or not it is true of Egyptian history, I'm not wise enough to know. But uh, I also wanted to point out when it talked about um, sun worship and the claim that no one worshiped the sun as God. Um, he's probably assuming this is talking about the uh, 
those in the mystery religions uh, because I, I would imagine if even those in the mystery religions were not worshiping the sun specifically and it symbolized uh, primordial learning uh, or knowing intellect um, that this was only the case for them and not the profane or the masses of people that might have worshipped the sun, the object, the sun. So um, that's one thing. The other uh, claim in here by the mystery religions is they, they never believed that Osiris and Isis were real people. And whether or not that's true, I don't know. According to what he read on the descriptions on the obelisks, uh, seem to indicate that as the case. But it's also possible that those became the symbols of them later in time and that they were real people or even real uh, fallen angels or Nephilim or something like that. Uh, I really don't know. So a lot of this information is not necessarily true history. So anyone that thinks he's giving false information here, what he's all he's doing is telling you what the mystery religions believe about the history of Egypt and Osiris and Isis. So what I'd like to do now is take a break and play a song by another independent group that gave me permission to play their music. Um, I forgot to mention this last time uh, about Tom, when I played Thomas Mills music, but the artist does not necessarily agree with the th content in my episodes or my podcast. So I just want to make that clear. This is just about sharing music that I enjoy and to give you a break. And this is a group called Wagon Lord, and you can find them on Bandclamp. And this album is, this is from the album Jove's Cove. And this is the title track, which is track number four. They say you went to Jupiter to get more Jupiter. But there's nothing more stupider than going to Jupiter. They say it would have froze him at first, as the winds tore him limb for limb. And the pressure would have crushed him as the thunderstorms fried his skin. on Jupiter to circle the dead. No way for mother to come and find whatever might be left. They said he went searching for a secret hidden place. Jove's Cove is what they call it, but we don't know why he went into outer space.
just come visit found that you better for it's a secret chamber very deep within the earth there you can live in isolation surrounded Once again, that is Wagon Lord, the song called Jove's Cove from the album Jove's Cove. If you like that music, which a lot of the music I like is very avant-garde, so it's not pop, <laughs> but I'm just sharing what I enjoy. Um, if you like that, support them. I will leave a link to the YouTube uh, video of this album as well, and you can also check look up wagon lord on bandclamp.com and now i will continue with some more william cooper uh mystery babylon stuff and my commentary osiris is the first of the five children of nut and here you begin to part some more veils behind which the mystery resides he therefore corresponds with the first of the five divine kings of China and the five exoterically known Diana Buddhas of Lamaism. The five children of Nut are the five continents which have appeared upon the earth and the five races which have populated these continents. Osiris is the primitive revelation of the first race. But as Isis was born upon the fourth day, we find this tradition coming into Egypt through the Atlantean mystery school of which Isis is the symbol, and you will find at the base of all of these things Atlantis. In this country, the Freemasons established the city of Atlanta as the new Atlantis. They believed that there was a time, the golden age, when truth and wisdom ruled the earth, and this aristocracy of wisdom was a benevolent despotism, and that's what they want to reestablish. Benevolent to who? <laughs> that's the question. Now, he's going to discuss Atlantis more in, uh, later in this, but I just wanted to touch on this right now. Uh, there's an interesting website, and I'll leave the link below that uh, talks about America as the new Atlantis and uh, how it correlates with Bible prophecy, which is very interesting. And I may do a full episode on this uh, later on. They believe that there was a time, the golden age, when truth and wisdom ruled the earth and this aristocracy of wisdom was a benevolent despotism, and that's what they want to reestablish. Benevolent to who? <laughs> 
That's the question. In which men were led to a nobler state of being by the firm, kindly hand of the enlightened sage. This was the divine dynasty of the mythological priest kings who were qualified to govern humanity by virtue, not only temporal, but by divine attributes. Through his priests, Osiris, representative of the hidden tradition, ruled the entire world by virtue of the perfection resident in that tradition. Now, if we concede that Osiris is the positive pole of the universal life agent, as the mystery school does, then Isis becomes the receptive pole of that activity. He is the doctrine, she is the church. As in Christianity, it is customary to refer to the church as the bride of Christ. So in Egypt, the institution of the mysteries was the great mother, the consort of heaven herself. From this interpretation, we gain a deeper insight into the symbolism of the whole Osirian cycle. Isis, you see, becomes the temporal order of the priesthood, the accumulative body of initiates. She is personified as the temple. She is the mother of all good, the protectress of all right, and the patron of all improvement. According to the mystery schools, she ensures nobility, inspires virtue, and awakens the nobler passions of the soul. As Diana of Ephesus, she is the multi-mammia who feeds all creatures from herself. And many of you may have seen uh, illustrations in books or little statues or portraits or pictures on somebody's wall of Isis in the role of the multi-mammia where she has many breasts all over her torso and on her legs and arms all over her body. Well, that's what this represents. As Diana of Ephesus, she is the multi-mammia who feeds all creatures from herself. Like the moon, she shines only with the light of her sovereign sun, spelled S-U-N, even as the temple can only be illumined by its indwelling truth. So Isis is the moon, Osiris is the sun. Remember what this means, folks. He is the doctrine, she is the church. Typhon, according to the mystery schools, is the embodiment of every perversity. He is the negative creation, the airman of Zoroasterism. And remember, we talked about the movie 2001, and in the beginning of the movie, the musical score that you hear, the name of it is also Sprach Zarathustra, which is a tribute to Zoroaster, which is the androgynous god. The combination in one of the positive, the negative, good, evil, male, female, etc., 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 it is the concept that Christ is also Lucifer, or that they are twins, and that's what they teach in the Mormon church. Typhon, according to the mystery schools, is black magic and sorcery, the black brotherhood, also known as the Jesuit order. Nephthys, his wife, is the institution through which he manifests. He is neither a single evil, nor even a sequence of ills, but an infinite diversity of them, indescribably insidious empowered to infect the fabric of church and state. The enemy of the mystery schools are three, the church, the state, and the mob. And, of course, the mob is us. Typhon lured Osiris into the Ark of Destruction at the time when the sun enters the house of the scorpion. Hence we know him to be the eternal betrayer, our Judas, that ageless Judas who undoes all good things and inevitably presages ruin. He is the power of the physical universe, which is constantly seeking to destroy the spiritual values locked within its substances. You will see that they have a talent for turning things around. 
Of all good things, Typhon is the opposer, according to the mystery schools, occupying the position of the eternal negative. This evil monster may well be generalized under the appellation of the adversary. In the initiation rites, he is also the tester or the trier. Quote, the Lord who is against us. Unquote. According to the mystery religion, he is the personification of ambition, and ambition is the patron of ruin. It was ambition that set Typhon plotting for the throne of Egypt, designing how he should destroy the power of his brother. A learned Jesuit father sees in Typhon Cain and in his brother Osiris Abel. If such a parallel actually exists, then the biblical allegory is susceptible of the same interpretation. But you see, they have twisted everything around. Typhus lured Osiris into the Ark of Destruction at the time when the sun enters the house of the scorpion. Hence we know him to be the eternal betrayer, that ageless Judas, who undoes all good things and inevitably presages ruin. Now this may sound to you that we're talking about Satan or the devil. But you see, in the mystery schools, they consider their god, Lucifer, to be the true good god, and they consider the god of Christianity to be the evil god. So I just wanted to quickly uh, point this out, and I enjoy, I like the way that William Cooper uh, figured out the fact that the mystery schools have turned everything upside down. So even though that they sort of uh, try and push uh, the meaning of the Bible into the meaning of the mystery religions. They don't respect the Bible, and they don't respect the God of the Bible, and so they've turned everything upside down, as William Cooper has stated. They believe the advent of greed and perversion marked the end of the Golden Age, the Osirian Age, which the Osirian cycle is just a symbology of this, and the Golden Age, of course, Golden Oro, always has stood for the sun. Osiris is representative of the sun. And outwardly, these people worship the sun. But the sun is just another symbol for their god, Lucifer, the light, the intellect. What then of Isis, the mother of the mysteries? She who was so defiled and desecrated by the profane that her sages and prophets were forced to flee into the wilderness to escape the machinations of the evil one, is she not the woman clothed with the son of Revelation who flees with her man-child into the wilderness to escape the evil purposes of the great dragon? Well, folks, that's what the mystery school believes, but I can tell you that's not true. Now, what he's referring to here is in Revelation chapter 12, and I'm not going to read it here. And I can't remember if I discussed this in this episode or in this uh, podcast or not in one of the previous episodes. But there's two women in Revelation... Uh, Revelation 12 is talking about a virtuous woman uh, who is, you know, who the dragon, which is the serpent, Satan, uh, is against. And then there's the Mystery Babylon, the woman with Mystery Babylon, which is c considered to be a, a whore, a great whore, or a harlot, right? And that's like the, the woman uh, that is or a system that is apostate. But basically they're trying to suggest that Isis or the, this woman is the virtuous woman. Um, I, I think I talk about this more in detail in my Bible study series on my YouTube channel. If you find the playlist called Bible study series. 
and it's going to be probably part 12 or 13 or 14. Uh, 13 or 14 is my guess, where I talk about the women, uh, the two women in Revelation. But, and again, this is a situation where they try to take the good side of, of this. Is she not the woman clothed with the son of Revelation who flees with her man-child into the wilderness to escape the evil purposes of the great dragon? Well, folks, that's what the Mystery School believes, but I can tell you that's not true. You see, the Mystery School was the original college run by Nimrod in the city of Babylon. And the college was a college of priests who practiced the religion of the sun. The college, the adepts, the initiates, the priests were scattered all over the world when Seth, the son of Noah, came with an army and defeated Nimrod. Now, real quickly, I want to clarify here that Seth was not the son of Noah. He was the son of Adam. Uh, they're probably referring to Shem. But um, I know I don't know if William Cooper ever clarified this, but in, Jordan Maxwell believes that Seth was Set or Sunset, like the god of darkness, uh, which, you know, again, that's turning things on its head where they make the one that's considered righteous in the Bible to be uh, the evil one in their religion. So once again, another example of how they turn things upside down. But to suggest that Seth is Noah's son is wrong. But also the, the reference to him being the one to kill Nimrod is interesting, which uh, according to Jasher, I believe, which is a historical book of Israel, uh, that uh, Shem killed Nimrod. So uh, just an interesting uh connection here and this is where the legend really comes from because seth chopped nimrod up into little pieces and scattered him all over the land in the legend of the osirian cycle cyrus was chopped into 14 pieces isis came to put him back together again and bring him to life she could find all the pieces save one the phallus or the generative force it is now known as the lost word of freemasonry and the phallus is represented by the obelisk the monolith it is the penis of Osiris, the generative force. It represents the lost word of Freemasonry. It represents the Luciferian philosophy. It represents the light, the sun, Lucifer, the intellect. The glory of Egypt, according to these people, ceased with the death of Osiris. The mighty temples still stood, but the God who illuminated them had gone. The priests bowed helplessly before the dead embers of their altars. And one by one, the sanctuaries crumbled into ruin, and the custodians of these ancient truths hid themselves in obscure corners of the earth, lest they be hunted down and slain for the sin of dreaming and hoping for a better day. Isis then, as the scattered but still consecrated body of initiates, began the great search for the secret that was lost. And this is all in reference to Seth's army scattering the college of priests in the ancient city of Babylon. And later, it refers to the Knights Templar, who brought the mysteries from the Middle East to Europe. In the dark retreats of Islam, the Sufi explored the depths of nature. Among the Jews, the learned rabbins unraveled the intricate skein of Kabbalism. Among the Greeks, initiates rose to life through the nocturnal rituals, rituals of Eleusis. In India, neophytes were brought to the contemplation of the triple-headed Brahma at Elephanta and Ellora. 
Through the Middle Ages, the alchemists in their retreats explored the infinite chemistry of existence. The Illuminati sought the pearl of great price, and Rosicrucian adepts sought to recast the molten sea. All these together were but Isis, still searching for the members of her lord. At last, according to the tradition, all these parts were restored again but one. But this one could not be returned. Now you understand why I tell you it's not the Jews, folks. If you're persecuting the Jews, you're making a big mistake. It is some of the Jews. It is some of the Catholics. It is some of the atheists. It is some of all of the people of all of the nations and races and religions of the world. Now, this is quite interesting to me because if... If we remember that if uh, Lucifer or the mystery religions believe or if they represent uh, light or intellect, and this is the Luciferian doctrine or what the mystery schools believe, then the opposite to them would be to the God of the Bible, which they would consider to be darkness or ignorance, to be held in ignorance. And so... It's interesting to me how they equate Nimrod to the mystery schools, and then he was killed by Shem. And, of course, in the Bible, we know that Nimrod built, built the Tower of Babel and that the nations were scattered through languages, that God divided languages, and thus the peoples themselves were divided and scattered abroad. Now, if Shem which they call Seth, but if Shem represents darkness or the God of the Bible to them, uh, then ignorance became the philosophy of the nations, especially that of Israel, because they followed the God of the Bible. And so they're saying that the intellect or the knowledge, the secret knowledge was scattered, was basically forgotten, that, that these mystery schools have have survived in pieces throughout the world so that different parts of the world had different pieces of this mystery religion or something to that effect. So I find this very interesting. Um, now he, he brings up several there and he talks about Jewish Kabbalah and some, he said, that's why I tell you it's not the Jews folks because some conspiracy people will blame the Jews for everything. And like he said, all of these groups have are all. Of, there's no specific uh, race of people that is guilty because they they're in all of these races. They're in all parts of the world, and not one secret society is t solely responsible for everything because there's many secret societies. So these are important things to point out now you understand why i tell you it's not the jews folks if you're persecuting the jews you're making a big mistake it is some of the jews it is some of the catholics it is some of the atheists it is some of all of the people of all of the nations and races and religions of the world and outwardly if they attend a church in your neighborhood and profess to believe in that religion it is a lie it is how they gain influence and power in that community for they worship one God and one God only in the temple without windows the headquarters of which in this country is exactly 13 blocks from the White House the Egyptian allegory tells us that the phallus of Osiris was swallowed by a fish 
the significant force and the power in the age of Pisces was Christianity, and the fish actually refers to Christianity. Isis, the priesthood, with their initiatory process, had accomplished all that could be accomplished by natural philosophy. Therefore, recourse is again had to magic. The golden phallus is rendered alive by the secret processes rescued from the lost book of Thoth. Thus the divine power of Osiris is restored through the regeneration of man himself and the processes of initiation. The institutions raised in the world to perpetuate the deeper truths of life, according to them, labored on through the centuries seeking for the lost key, the living crux and sata, which, if rediscovered, would enliven and impregnate the whole world and restore the good king Osiris to the throne left empty by his cruel death. It is their duty to reestablish that golden age when wisdom personified as Osiris and not selfishness personified by Typhon shall dictate the whole course of human procedure. The day must ultimately come when the Hori, by virtue of their royal purpose, <laughs> accomplish the consummation of the great work. The great work, folks, is the elevation of man to the illumined man, or 666, and the establishment of a one-world totalitarian socialist utopia on Earth. Some important things to point out here is as he talks about how uh, if they claim to believe what you believe, like if they're in your church or in some religious group, it is a, it is a lie. They've infiltrated to gain the sympathy of those groups, or um, they have created a secret society in which interprets the writings of that group to mean what the mystery schools believe. And this is what Kabbalah is. Uh, it interprets the Torah or Judaism through the uh, to mean what the mystery schools believe and the same thing with the Jesuits within Christian circles and many other Christian groups which he will get into and other groups um, so I will get into uh, not me but in the next episode we will hear about some of the movements that they actually started and uh, what those uh, groups are for and the movement towards uh you know towards creating this uh one world totalitarian government um like i said they believe and and they mentioned the age of of fish or fish representing christianity which they try and suggest that because jesus wanted to make us fishers of men that somehow he brought in the age of pisces uh you know so this is another way that they slant and pervert the truth to make you question uh, whether or not the Bible is true or whether it's an allegory for something else. Uh, so, um, but again, if they would, if they consider that Christianity is darkness, right? Because they believe that the God of the Bible is, uh, represents ignorance or darkness, and thus, they want to reestablish the, uh, you know, the the knowledge, the intellect of the mystery schools, which has been held in secret for thousands of years, and they are going to reestablish it through the groups that they are beginning, which we will get into in the next episode. Thank you all, and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. 
I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16 18. Pride goeth before destruction.